family over Thanksgiving. We haven't um, been able to worship with our family on Thanksgiving Sunday uh, in probably 10 years, so that was that was a nice, a nice thing um, to uh, enjoy the people of God and another uh, another body and and uh, be together with our family there. So, um, before we uh, begin, a couple of quick things. First of all, uh, on uh, Friday night at my little house, uh, we're going to try and pack all of you in. Uh, for our annual Christmas open house. Uh, if you have been here more than a couple times, you should have gotten an invitation in the mail. Uh, if you did not get one, see me, and I will get you one. Uh, otherwise, consider this your invitation. We want you all to come. Um, I think the last time we did this, I think we had about 90-some people uh, over the course of the evening, and it's a lot of fun, and it's a great opportunity to... Uh, hang out with your brothers and sisters, and uh, if you don't know Karen and I well, uh, to uh, spend some time with us and our family and our home. So please come to that. Uh, Also coming up in January, our own Carl Losey is going to start teaching uh, the Good Sense uh, finance class. If you um, want God's perspective on your finances and uh, the fact that they're not your finances, they are God's finances, uh, given you to be a good steward of and how how to do that and what biblical principles would be there for you to apply uh, in terms of finance and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff. There's a lot of uh, video clips and so forth that go along with that. It's a great class. Next week, we'll have a sign-up sheet for that. Uh, Carl wants to get a good idea of how many people to prepare for, uh, but it'll be a great opportunity for you all to learn. Um, in our Sunday school uh, hour. Uh, by the way, also, some of you may not know this if you're new, we do have Sunday school here at 9 a.m., and it is a tremendous opportunity to learn God's Word in a more in-depth way, a little smaller environment, uh, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's uh, like the Marine Corps, uh, the few and the proud are allowed to come to Sunday school. Um, but uh, we encourage you to come and, and to learn God's Word along with us. Uh, one last thing, um, James Zog passed uh, to me, a friend of his, Art Waters, uh, who he uh, shares a house with, is very sick, he's in ICU at Methodist. So we're going to pray for him, and then we'll get into Jonah a little bit. So let's, uh, let's pray for Art here this morning. God, our Heavenly Father, we know that you alone are the only true God and the only God who gives grace to his people. And Father, we pray this morning that your mercy and grace would be evident in the life of Art Waters. Uh, Father, I pray uh, for complete healing. I don't know all of the circumstances of his illness, but Father, I know it's serious and possibly even life-threatening. And Father, I know that you're a God of mercy and a God of prayer. And so, Father, we come to you and we uh, ask for mercy on Art's behalf, that you would bring healing to his body and good health and a return home uh, soon. Father, we know you can do all things and we trust that you will do uh, this that we have asked uh, because of your great love. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um. We have been looking at the book of Jonah. Uh, We started uh, the week before Thanksgiving. We're going to continue on through part of the month of December, and then we'll make a turn toward Christmas. 
Uh, but we'll finish this book here. We're in Jonah chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, uh, find your way into the Minor Prophets, the shorter little prophetic books there at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, if you find Malachi, just keep turning backward until you get until you get there. This is the clean part of your Bible, but we're going to put some notes in it, uh, hopefully uh, here in the next few weeks. So uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. We left, where we left off, Jonah was inside the fish. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible in general, and Jonah in particular, is that the people that are in the Bible are not plaster saints. They are not cardboard cutout people. These are real folks, and you see them in all of their glory or lack thereof, as the case might be. Uh, You see people warts and all, just like people are, just like you and I are. And last week, we saw Jonah at his worst. And this week, we're going to see Jonah at his best. But there's no sugarcoating that's put over the people in the Bible. In fact, you could make a soap opera starring some of the folks who are in the Bible. You don't believe me? Read Genesis about Abraham's family, and then his sons, and then or, and then his grandsons, and then his great-grandsons. Now, there's a real soap opera with the sons of Jacob, and they are something. Or read about David. This could be, uh, this, I mean, it could be in running against General Hospital, all the stuff that goes on uh, in these people's lives. These are real people. And Jonah is a real person. And Part of the time, he is living a life which is pleasing to God, and he's obedient, and he is a good guy, who is a good example of what it means to walk with God. And part of the time, he is a rebel running as fast and as hard and as far as he can away from God. And that was last week. Last week, God said, Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And Nineveh was to the east. So Jonah went south to the nearest port, and then decided to go west as far as he knew, (laughs) to Tarshish. Got on a boat. 
Nineveh's across the desert. Jonah's going across the water. He's doing everything he can to run away from God. And he gets down in this boat, and he goes to sleep, and the storm comes up, and it's bad. It's so bad that the text literally reads, even the ship thought it was going to break up. And so eventually, after the sailors figure out that it's God who is against Jonah, who is the prophet of God. Now, that's an irony in itself. The prophet of God is running away from the God he knows has created the universe and the sea and the dry land. Where are you going to run? But anyway, nonetheless, Jonah's running away from God, and he is thrown eventually into the sea at his own request. And God has provided a fish of some kind to swallow Jonah. God, by his sovereign power, has called Jonah. God, by his sovereign power, has caused the storm. God, by his sovereign power, has provided the fish. And God, by his sovereign power, is keeping Jonah alive in this fish. Now, try to imagine... Try to imagine this, because sometimes we read this story, and, and the details just kind of go by us, and we don't really think about this. But has anybody here ever actually been swallowed whole by something? Uh, any, any takers on that? I mean, I mean the, idea, the, the idea of actually being eaten by something is not something we like to think about. It's something that, if you think about it at all, it's one of those... <gasps> cold sweat nightmares you wake up from, you know, that you've been swallowed by something. Jonah has actually had that happen. He has experienced the worst day of his life. God told me to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Those are nasty people who don't like Jews. I'm not going to Nineveh. So instead, he gets on a boat, flees, winds up in the ocean. That's bad news. And then he actually winds up being eaten by something. You know, I've caught a lot of fish. I just didn't ever want to be the cricket that you caught them with, right? And this is what has happened. Swallowed whole into this fish's gut. And we know, of course, as we read the story, what's about to happen, that Jonah's going to make an exit. At this point, if you're Jonah, you're concerned that you're going to make an exit, but it's not going to be from the end you want to come out of, right? Uh, this is n he does not know he's going to come out of the mouth. He is fairly certain that he's going to be digested. But nonetheless, I mean, and by the way, if I'm choosing which way I'm going to go out, swallowed and slowly digested over a period of days is not somewhere on that list. I want to die quickly. Car crash, heart attack, stroke, something that takes place over a matter of seconds. Even drowning is preferable to swallowed and digested. You die in a matter of minutes, not over a matter of days. And you don't get to choose, and Jonah has not gotten to, cho to choose, but, and we don't know how it is that he stays alive. 
you know, there are accounts of whalers and so forth being swallowed and then the whale being caught and they're finding this guy a couple of days later swallowed. Uh, we don't know how much credence to do that, to give to that. But here's what I do know, that God, by his sovereign power, is keeping Jonah alive in this fish. And what's interesting about Jonah, and I think this is the fascinating part about his story, is that this man who is so rebellious against God in chapter 1 decides he completely turns and he decides to start praising and thanking God for rescuing him in chapter 2. Now, if I've just been swallowed by something, I'm not thinking, oh good, I've been rescued. I'm thinking, man, this is out of the frying pan and into the fire. (laughs) This is worse. But that's not what Jonah thinks. Jonah has a reaction like Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. And he starts singing a hymn of thankfulness to God because he has been rescued. And I think there are some real lessons for us in the prayer of Jonah. Guys, go ahead and bring up that first slide uh, if you've got it. If you've got it there, I want to look at this prayer in some detail, uh, because one of the things that I want you to see, you see that? We need to bring some more lights down. That's, that, that's probably the last thing that Jonah sees right before he goes in, is this big mouth sucking him down. But in any case, that's a whale shark. Those jokers grow to be 70 feet long. And they have a mouth that's fully capable of swallowing you. Uh, But Jonah's prayer, go to the next slide, uh, follows a very specific pattern called a thanksgiving psalm. And if you go to Psalms and you read some of the thanksgiving psalms, what you'll find is a very, very similar pattern. And there's a three-part pattern that they all follow. And they start out in the beginning with a summary of the psalmist's testimony. And you'll have, first of all, kind of a summary statement of their initial uh, plea for help, and then a recounting in a summary fashion of God's intervention. So if you look at Jonah, what you see is, in my distress, I called to the Lord his plea for help. And then He'll t- he gives in a summary way his, his account of God's intervention. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now, he, is he literally in the depths of the grave? Well, he's about a week from there. For all he knows, he's dead, and he's calling out to God. And he's recalling God's intervention. Go to the next slide. Uh, and then you get a narration of the psalmist's experience. And, and in Jonah, you get a narration of Jonah's experience. So you get a, a statement of the original problem. How did he wind up where he is? You hurled me into the deep. And then he cries out for help. I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again, toward your holy temple. He's calling out to God. He knows where God is, and he calls out to him. He says, I know that I have done some things which have not made you very happy with me, 
but I'm calling out to you because I want to be in your presence once again. And then God, uh, the, the psalmist will report on God's deliverance in a more detailed way. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. If you look at it, the earth barred me in forever, but you brought my life up out of the pit. The pit is the word for the grave. And when you bury people, you bury them in a hole. And so in Hebrew, they talk about the pit. And being it, and dying is going down into the pit, into a hole. And he says, my life was in a hole, but you have brought me out of it. You have rescued me. Go to the next slide. And then you get this concluding statement of thankfulness. And you get... Um, you get a statement really of worship and thanksgiving to God. And over in Jonah, you you get the same thing. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you. I, with a prayer of thanksgiving, will sacrifice todah to you. And that word todah is the word for praise or sacrifice or blessing that they experience. And it appears right there in Jonah. And then you get this last statement of theological statement of praise to God for something that he is or does. And he says, salvation comes from the Lord. Now, uh, that's it, guys. You can, you can shut that down. Um, now, if you've been here more than, more than once or maybe been here for a while, you know that I don't normally get into the structure of the passage and outline it in all this detail and tell you the form that it follows and all that kind of thing, because normally that's extraneous detail. But I want you to see this because uh, I think it has some lessons for us, uh, not just in its content, but in the way that it's offered. Uh, and it shows, first of all, that Jonah knew his Bible. He knew not just the words, but the way it's laid out. He understood that. And he is, he, it so penetrated his thinking that when he prays in the worst possible situation you could be in, he is praying according to a very biblically rooted pattern. You can look at Psalm 32 and get another example of this, or Psalm 67 or Psalm 121, and you can see these prayers of thanksgiving, and they follow exactly this pattern. And more than that, all of the words of Jonah's prayer, all of them are borrowed directly out of the Psalms. So even the language that's there is out of the Psalms. I'll give you just a partial list. He says, in my distress, I call to the Lord. My distress is taken from Psalm 18, uh, verse 6, and Psalm 120, verse 1. My distress. The depths of the grave, Psalm 18, 4 to 5. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Now, that's particular to Jonah, you would think, but it's borrowed from Psalm 42, 7. From your presence is from Psalm 139, verse 7. Toward your holy temple, Psalm 5, verse 7. The engulfing waters threaten me, Psalm 69, verse 2. 
brought my life up from the pit. Psalm 30, verse 3. My life was ebbing away. Psalm 142, verse 3. To your holy temple, Psalm 18, verse 6. Salvation is from the Lord is a statement directly out of Psalm chapter 3, verse 8. All of the words of, this song, of, this, of Jonah's psalm are borrowed from the book of Psalms. You can find every word of it somewhere else in the book of Psalms. And I think this is key because what you see is this, is that on the worst day of Jonah's life, and I can't imagine very many worse ones than this, storm, drowning, swallowed, bad. On the worst day of Jonah's life, what comes to his mind is a way of praying biblically, and the words of Scripture are pressed out of him so that when he is put under pressure and squeezed as hard as a person can be, what comes out of him is his Bible. And it gives us some encouragement, but also it gives us a model for prayer when we're being squeezed by life. Uh, most of us, if we're honest, struggle a bit with prayer, don't we? I mean, we have a hard time praying, we have a hard time knowing what to say and how to do it, and so we wind up a lot of times saying something like this, Lord, we just ask that you would just, right? And, and even Jesus' disciples who followed him around went to him and said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's a pattern, it's a model, it's a way of praying where Jesus himself taught his disciples, pray this way. You don't have to pray those exact words, but pray according to that pattern. And Jonah here gives us a pattern for how to pray when you're under stress. But what's interesting is that the pattern that he picks is not a petitionary prayer, but a thankful prayer. And I think that in itself is also significant that he's thanking God for rescuing him, even though he hasn't quote, quite been rescued yet. Not ultimately rescued. I mean, he's been rescued from drowning, and that's good, but he hadn't been rescued from the fish until the very end, after he prays. And I think it t teaches us also in the way, in the words that he uses to be honest with God about our circumstances when we pray. Look at, look at Jonah's words here. Talks about my distress from the depths of the grave I called for help. He was really afraid he was going to die. He was really afraid. Lord, I'm going to die. And then he, he, says, he says to God, you hurled me into the deep into the heart of the sea. Is it okay to say things to God about how you feel, about what he has got going in your life? <laughs> As a matter of fact, son, it is okay. It is okay. That's my boy. 
At least he's engaged in the sermon, okay? <laughs> um, I'm proud of you, son. I am. Um, that is my boy. Um, it is okay to tell God exactly how you feel, and Jonah does. You hurled me into the deep. He holds God responsible, not the sailors, because he knew that it was God who had put him in those circumstances. It was God who controlled the storm. And it was God who brought the ocean to calm when he went in. You hurled me into the sea. And he recognizes God's sovereign power, but he's also saying that being in the water was not such a great deal. And he continues in verse 4, I have been banished from your sight. Is there anything worse than feeling like you are cut off from God when everything in your life goes dark? Like even God isn't listening to me right now. That's how Jonah feels. In verse 5 and 6, his words keep just spiraling down. Engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. And seaweed was wrapped around my head. The earth beneath barred me in forever. I mean... It's like I'm going, you can, poetically, he's talking about how I'm going down, 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 all the way to the bottom of the ocean. And then it turns, but you brought me up out of the pit, O Lord my God. When his life was slipping away, he remembered his God, and God in his great mercy saves even his rebellious prophet and and jonah in his words reminds us of how gracious god is look at verses eight and nine he says those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs if you're in a bad situation is there any god who can get you out of it other than the real God. No, there isn't. When life is at its worst, only this God, Jonah's God, my God and yours, is able to save. He's the only one. And so Jonah says, with a a song of thanksgiving, which is what he's just been offering, I will sacrifice to you, and what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation is come from the Lord. And evidently, Jonah's been bargaining, in a sense, with God. Get me out of this, and I will sacrifice to you. I really will. I really, really mean it. I really will. And God is gracious. And he accepts Jonah's bargain and says, all right, fine. I'll get you out of this. And he saves his life, even though he has zero reason to forgive Jonah, even though he doesn't have to, even though God would have been perfectly justified in allowing Jonah to go out of the fish on the other end. Even though he could have done that, he doesn't do that. Why? Because he is a gracious and a loving and a forgiving God. And so he protects Jonah in the fish, he hears his prayer, and he forgives, and he loves. And verse 10 says, Jonah was delivered. It's kind of a smelly deliverance, gross and slimy deliverance, but nonetheless, 
he is delivered. And the fish vomits, and out comes Jonah onto the beach. And the same God who called the prophet, who sent the storm, who gave the fish, also is able to command the fish to do his will, and the fish obeys. And he spits Jonah out, not into the water again, but onto the beach. Now, as we close here, I think there are some things I want to highlight that we can learn and apply out of this passage before we go to communion. Um, First of all, do you know God's Word? Do you really know it? Has it become part of your life? Has it penetrated your mind such that it organizes your thinking? I said earlier that when Jonah's life is squeezed as hard as it can possibly be, what comes out of him is Bible. What comes out of you when you're under pressure? You squeeze a container, whatever is in it is going to come out. You put enough pressure on it. And whatever is in your life and in your heart is going to come out when you're under pressure. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the good man brings up out of his heart the good things which are in there. Whereas the evil man brings up out of his heart the things that are in it. So if when you're under pressure, what comes out of you is not God's word or thinking and speaking and actions in accordance with God's word, it could be, in fact it is the case, that it's because what is in your heart is not that. God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? That's what Romans chapter 12 says. Do not be conformed or do not be squeezed into the mold of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do I get my mind transformed? Well, I have to fill it and replace what's in there now with something else. The best thing I know of is in here. To fill your mind with God's Word. Uh, we, when we read God's Word, we think God's thoughts after Him. To where our thoughts become His thoughts. Do you know your Bible? Uh, number two, do you thank God for all His gifts? And this is the amazing thing about Jonah, is that he recognizes the fish as a gift from God. Again, I've said this before. I don't think that if I were in Jonah's shoes, I would have seen the fish as being a wonderful gift from God. Oh, great, I get to die slowly instead of quickly. Fantastic. But in fact, it is God's gift to him. And Jonah sees it as such. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, have had all kinds of negative things happen to us, and we have trouble seeing them as God's gift. Even though Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, if I look back over my own life, you know, those of you who, who have been around a while know this, but 
I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at 16. Uh, it has kept me out of some things I wanted to do. Kept me out of the military academy where I wanted to go. And then later, when I went to missions organizations as a seminarian and said, you know, I'd like to go to the field full time. I'm going to be fully qualified to teach and to train pastors and to provide theological education in some of the neediest places in the world. You can send me to the jungle. You can send me to some cave somewhere. I don't care. I want to go. They said, tell us about your health. And I began to tell them. And they began to say to me, you have to be in dream world. We are not going to do that. And I said, but it's God's will. And they said, no, it isn't. (laughs) And they won (laughs) that argument, okay? And, And I have to be honest with you. I did not and have not always received that disease as being God's gift to me. But the fact is, is that God allowed me to develop that condition I think, because he wanted some things in my life to be a certain way. And if I'd gone to West Point or I'd gone to the mission field, I would have never wound up as a pastor. And that's where God wanted me to be. I would have never been able to sympathize in the way that I am with people who suffer from chronic illnesses that they do not get better from. And it has been a gift in a certain way. Now, in other ways, I'm still struggling to receive that as a gift. i got to be honest. But it is a gift. And God has used it to show me his mercy and his grace and his love and to draw me closer to him. And that, I can assure you, is a gift. And I bet if I went around the room, most of you could tell similar stories of things that have happened to you or conditions that you have had or circumstances you have been through, which were very difficult, but that God used in your life to bring you close to Him. And because of that, they're a gift. Do you thank God for all His gifts? Last question. Do you recognize and celebrate God's grace to you? One of the things that I I think we ought to be continually amazed by is how much God loves us and how much He forgives us and how often and how deeply He loves and forgives us. In spite of all the things that we do and have done and will do to rebel against him. Because remember, God knows not only what we have done in the past better than we do. But God is also aware of all the things we will do in the future, even though we haven't done them yet. God knows it all. And yet he chooses when we come to him in repentance to forgive us on the basis of Christ. He loves me enough not only to send his son to die on a cross for my sin, he loves me enough to raise that son and by his resurrection power to save me 
and resurrect me also and to forgive me of my sin and beyond that to bring me into his kingdom and into his very family as an adopted son or adopted daughter of God himself. Now, I don't know what other religion out there might be out there who can make that kind of a claim that God not only tolerates me, but loves me and brings me into his own family through the death of his own son makes me an adopted child. Don't know what else you got to compete with that, but I hadn't found anything better. This is as good as it is. This is as good as it's ever going to get. This is the grace of God. And we need to never get tired of celebrating God's grace and never really move on from being amazed by it. We never get too mature in our Christian life to look back on our salvation and be in shock. If you're not in shock that God would save you, um, let, let, let us spend a few minutes with your friends and they'll help you understand <laughs> that you ought to be in shock that God would save you, right? God's grace extends to even me, even you. He loves us and he forgives us. And it extended to Jonah, and he recognized it and sang a song about it. And so as we, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to celebrate. Actually, we'll sing a song a little later. But we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion, which, if anything, is the feast of God's grace to us. His grace coming in the blood and suffering of his Son, pay for our sins. So, and then we'll sing and we'll celebrate together. All right, I got it on, I'm on board now. All right, don't have that order of service up here in front of me. But let's, uh, let's pray and then let's celebrate and then let's sing, okay? God, our Heavenly Father.